So as I just shared, we are continuing our systematic study of the examining, examining the Paul's letter to the Church of Rome. Over the past few weeks, we've seen, literally, as I, I shared, and I hope you did your homework, from the first verse of chapter 2 to up till last week, uh, that would be the eighth verse of chapter 3. It's, it's, one, uh, it's one whole school of thought, if you will. It's, it's one continuous uh, thought. Um, it's, I like to say, it's in lawyer-like uh, fashion. Uh, that the righteousness, it, Paul presents the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of everything and everybody else. The righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of everything and every everything and everybody else. If you're under the law, if you're next to the law, if you're over the law, if you, if you don't, if you can't spell law, uh, it's the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of everybody else. Um, all of us stand guilty before a righteous God. Now, again, I want to caution everyone before we, we look at it and say, well, we're talking about law. You know what? I'm not Jewish. I'm not a practicing Jew. I don't, I'm not trying to be uh, uh, the holder of the law. Uh, uh, I'm not, there, that, this, is, this doesn't apply to me. Uh, or on the other hand, if I'm a Roman, or the 21st century equivalent of that, I got it made. Uh, we need to understand that as Paul was presenting this, it was to be a Roman, apart from the law, it wasn't just living in a better zip code or eating better food. It was, it was literally... Uh, often the difference between freedom and non-freedom, uh, having enough to eat, having nothing to eat. Uh, and that's why Paul goes to great detail to say, uh, well, I'm not having any of this. I'm not having the, you thinking that I'm a part of the law, and so my pursuit of, the, my righteous pursuit of obedience to the law somehow earns me credit, and because I'm not a part of the law, I'm a Roman or I'm an intelligent Greek that somehow, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Um, as he said, and we shared last week in the 12th verse of the second chapter, you ought to find yourself somewhere in this verse. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Where are you in here? Either you're under the law or you're apart from the law. And there's no okayness. There's no righteousness. There's no, you know, it's kind of like where the, the, the sun beams down uh, in Bakersfield or Barstow or any other desert place. And there's no relief from the light of the sun. It covers everything and everybody. There's no, there's no righteous shade, if you will. Uh, it didn't matter two millennia ago, and it doesn't matter now. Nothing has changed. As I shared before, I share now. Uh, a lot of folks will, 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 will look at, well, the things and the, 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 the attributes of God of the Old Testament, that's a little scary. But the attributes and characteristics that we think we see in the New Testament, oh, that's, that's cool. It's like, it's the same God. 
It, it's the same. Nothing's changed. It's the same God. What has changed is what Paul is trying to explain, uh, and we'll see further and further as we go through Romans. It's the it's the intersection of space and time by God of the universe, Jesus Christ, coming in and being that advocate, being that that perfect sacrifice. It's like, but nothing else has changed. God is still righteous. God is still holy. And we're still unrighteous and we're infinitely unholy. So today we want to begin at the ninth verse of the third chapter where we read, after all of that, from chapter 2, 1, all the way to 3, 8, Paul then says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. I don't want to get into it. It's, this is, that's, that's a Bible study kind of thing. But there's a bit of theological discussion regarding the translation of this pivot. But I'm persuaded, I, I'm persuaded that the NIV has it right. Given everything we've discussed, what, we, what should we conclude? What is the bottom line? Uh, do we, whoever we is, do we have any advantage? Absolutely not. not absolutely not. Uh, and again, not completely clear who we, uh, the we Paul is speaking about, Jews under the law or Gentiles outside of the law. He kind of wraps it all up and is, is like either intentionally or unintentionally, really doesn't matter, by saying we are all under the power of sin. We are all under the power of sin. And uh, all means all. Um, I'm reminded of uh, my mentor, uh, Pastor Fred Campbell, uh, who retold the story uh, of an elder preacher. Now, don't, don't project that on me. I'm older, but it wasn't me. But he was talking about an older preacher who was wrestling with not necessarily sin lived out physically, but sin of the mind. And his, his, his lament, his plea to, to Pastor Campbell was, when does it end? To which Pastor Campbell said, when you die. When you die. That, 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 that the, the, the wrestling, if you will, the, 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 the awareness and the response to however we choose to respond to sin it is a lifetime vocation. Um, we'll, see, we'll see it even more clearly later uh, in Romans, uh, in the 21st verse of the 7th chapter. The 21st verse of the 7th chapter, where Paul writes, Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I want to do good. I, I really want to do good. But evil's right there with me. Uh, but like a good theologian, Paul doesn't rest on logic, as obvious it may be. He includes footnotes and references to support his conclusion, verse, starting with verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, to get, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. 
not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Um, the ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's like, boy, I don't want to live next to that person. You don't have to worry about it. That person's you. You don't have to worry about living next to that person. That person's you. All right? Okay, it's like, again, that's you. That's me. That, that, that's me. So Paul strings together Old Testament references, one after another, each building on each other, uh, what the rabbis often call the string of pearls. You're thinking, you know, ladies uh, who have uh, pearls, they're on a, like a, like a, what do you call it? Not a nylon, but whatever the thread is, silk, silk, silk thread, and you just string a pearl on it. And that's what they were called, string of pearls. So you, you pick, you pluck a verse, not cherry picking, but, but, Related in supporting verses that come together. It's not necessarily a word-for-word -word translation. So, and I hope you have a pencil or paper or you have your, your, your devices out. So when I refer to the verse, you're able to look at it later. Uh, but it's a thought for thought. It's a thought for thought. Um, one thing about it is I like to, as I wrote down here, Paul has done his homework. He's not, he's not winging it. Uh, as it is written. As it is written. As one of my seminaries I've shared with you before I share now, one of my seminary professors often said, what does, the, what does the text say? What does the text say? Not your opinion. Not, not, not what, what mama said. Not what, not, not what even I said. What does the text say? And look at the text in the context and the setting in which it was given. Uh, so again, I hope you're taking notes. Uh, the first reference is from Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Psalm 14, 1 through 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's Psalms 14, 1 through 3. Then he pivots from numbering, no one, uh, to associated behavior in the eighth part of the 13th verse. Uh, and he's referring to Psalm 5, 9. Psalm 5, 9. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they tell lies. The B part of the 13th verse is from Psalm 140 and 3. Psalm 140 and 3. They make their tongues as sharp as serpents. The poison of vipers is on their lips. It's, it's, it's getting heavy, okay? Uh, verse 14 draws from Psalm 10 and 7. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. We're talking about the unrighteous, okay? And verses 15 to 17 is from Isaiah 59, 7 through 8. Isaiah 59, 7 through 8. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. 
No one who walks along, uh, no one who walks along them will know peace. And then we see the final pearl in this uh, string, uh, drawn from uh, Psalm 36:1. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's pretty exhausting. I'll let you in on a secret. Sin is exhausting. Sin is exhausting. So he's properly footnoted his thesis, and this is before makes this is before uh, APA, MLA, Chicago, or Tarabian. Uh, I mean, literally, he's footnoted what he is positing. He's laid it out there from chapter 2, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 8, and it's like, bam, here's my footnotes. Deal with that. I'm not winging this. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm stating a fact. Verse 19, we're almost done. Uh, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. As the, as the youth like to say, if you didn't know, now you know. You, you, you know, isn't that right, Cyrus? That's what the youth say, right? A, if you didn't know, now you know. Uh, those who look to and are under the law have no claim to righteousness. You religious folk, Jew or Gentile, you have no claim to righteousness. So as my mom said to me on more than one, one occasion, boy, shut your mouth. Boy, shut your mouth. But mom, mom, shut your mouth. Your mom never said that to you. I know. It's, it's a, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I'm glad I'm not a Jew living under the weight of the law. Uh, let me remind you again. There is none righteous. No, not one. In or outside of the law. So none of us has any standing on which, on which to claim righteousness. Let me put it another way. Knowing the law is not the same as keeping the law. Knowing the law is not the same as keeping the law. A lot of folk know the law. The Jews knew the law. A lot of us know the law. That don't mean we keep the law. We just know the law. We, a lot of us can quote scripture, spit it out, and boy, it's a boom, bam, bam, more than I can. It's like, I have to look it up. It's a, and, and quote scripture, and your life's a mess. There's a difference between knowing the law and keeping the law. Uh, and it's not, it's not even remotely close to being justified under the law. I'm just, I mean, it, it, when you start to unpack the layers, it gets to the point, it's just like, oh, gee, man alive, I'm, 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 I'm hopelessly lost. That's, that's, the whole, that's the whole thesis of Romans, okay? Um, Kids appreciate this. We all know the story of Snow White, right? There was a queen. She was described as 
evil. I didn't describe her that way. That's, that's, that's how the story goes, okay? And if you look at the Disney or anyone else, the, the, the caricatures, even the portrayal of the person, uh, you know, you kind of got the dark eyes, the, you know, the, the furrowed brow, the, you know, you just, just kind of make that person look evil, that long tapery fingers with long fingernails that claw your eyes out, all of that. All of that. Um, it's less than flattering. Uh, but honestly, as I was thinking about this, you know, I think that's an inaccurate portrayal. Uh, because I think that person, that queen in this case, could have been anybody. Why do you say that? Who other than a crazy person would stand in front of a mirror and have the temerity to say, mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all? If I'm, if I'm ugly, I'm not going to stand there and say, mirror, mirror, oh, it's cracked already. No, it's, it's, and if I'm approaching that mirror, kind of like the guy who said, good master, what, what one thing should I do? Because I think I'm pretty good already. And so the queen is like, mirror, mirror, on the wall. Don't I look fairer than them all? Uh, I doubt the queen was anything but physically ugly. I really do. Why else would you subject yourself to the, I mean, if, I mean, I know I'm chubby. I don't need to stand in front of the mirror and say, you're chubby. I know, I know that attribute of myself. The problem is when I don't think I'm chubby or I don't think I have an imperfection on my face, then I go to the mirror and uh, say, good master, what one thing am I missing? You're a pretty good guy. You're a good master. Uh, maybe there's just, maybe this relationship thing with, with you, Rabbi, uh, will just shave off some of the rough edges of life and make me a better version of me. You've heard that before, right? You be your best self. Be your best. The best I can do is help. That's the best I can do. It's a low bar, but that's the best I can do. Oh, pastor, you, 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 is, it, is it that serious? It's more serious than I, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying not to really. Uh, because when we come closer and closer to the light of Christ, I mean, why, why in the world do you think Peter is just, you know, when, when Christ it, with his loving arms outstretched, it's like, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And it's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Don't you know who I am? Did you know I'm, I'm messed up? I, I, I try and do the right thing. I talk a good game, but I fail. And what does Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. See, ours is not, you've seen that commercial. Uh, I think it's Geico, the insurance commercial. It's like the aunts that come and visit the house. Uh, nice house, hope you can keep it clean. That's kind of how uh, uh, we approach, if we're not careful, we'll approach our, our relationship with God. Nice house. Hope you can keep it clean. Expired. 
expired. Expired. I'm telling you. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? It ain't me. And don't get beside yourself, it ain't you either. It's not you. Um, we'll see later. Paul exclaimed. So good. I'm closing. In the seventh chapter of this letter, this is what Paul says to all of this. And it's like the seminal part of the whole letter. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's, that's our out. That's our ace. He's paid it all. He's done it all. And even though I've got dust all over the place, Jesus comes in with his uh, Swiffer mop or whatever metaphor you want to use and cleans up all the garbage in my life. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, so thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for uh, all that he continues to do for, through, and with us, molding and shaping us into his perfect image. Father, we thank you. Be with us now, Father, as we, uh, we think about and reflect on the sacrifice that was paid two millennia ago on our behalf. Thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Angela. So I'm going to um, read the verses for our communion, reading from the first letter to the Corinthians, the 11th chapter, the 23rd to the 34th verse. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup.
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were under, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. This is the word of the Lord. When we think about, I encourage you really to think about, uh, if you had a, uh, I don't know, maybe everybody here is debt-free, uh, literally, uh, in terms of their finances. But imagine whatever your mortgage is, whatever your mortgage is, someone just came along and said, uh, I'm going to pay your mortgage. I'm going to pay your mortgage. What's the catch? No catch. Do you receive it? Do you receive, do you receive the gift that I'm, I'm offering? Um, it can't be that easy. It, it can't be that. But if as we pass through that, as we pass through that thinking, there is a, a reasonable person, a reasonable person would understand, man, that was mighty nice. That was an incredible thing to do. And that's just money. That's just the mortgage. And when we think about eternity, being eternally separated, being eternally separated from the love of God, what's the absence of light? It's darkness. What's the absence of peace? It's torment. To be eternally separated from God and Christ said, prepare me a body. I, I, I want to do this I, because it will ultimately restore the relationship that was severed in the garden. So I invite you as we stand to our feet. This is the body. This is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again?
thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to, to, to dive a little deeper in the inspired letter that Paul wrote to the church in Oak Park. Thank you, Father. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for wisdom. And Father, we pray for application. Let us be different than when we came in. Let us be more inspired than when we came in. Let us be more loving than when we came in. Let us be more like you and less and less like ourselves. Father, we so thank you. Now be with us. Watch over us. Protect us. Uh, bring us back, Father, as you see fit, Father, during the week and on next Sunday. We love you and we thank you. It's in the precious name of your Son, my Savior, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Let every heart say, Amen. hug somebody.